Well, this morning we continue in our series on Galatians, and uh, as you saw from the text this morning, it comes out swinging. Yeah, Paul is going for it right from the, from the get-go. But this morning I want to start out with just a, a couple observations and a question for you. Uh, have you ever met somebody who was related to somebody famous or someone who had done something famous? I know a number of years ago I was in a hotel and uh, um, I think it was in Nashville, Tennessee, and I, I was working with a, a convention there, and they, uh, they put us on the concierge floors. I had never been on the concierge floors before, where your key goes in, you get to go to special floors that no one else can go to. Uh, I've always been in the cheap seats, so I was in the concierge floor, and I thought that was the biggest thing ever. I was like 22 or 23 years old, and I was going up to the concierge floor, and we met the concierge, and we started talking to him, asking him about his life and who he was, and I don't think most people would do that, um, but we asked him, have you ever met anybody famous? And then for some reason, we asked the question, are you related to anybody famous, or do you know anybody famous? And he proceeded to tell us that one of his relatives, I can't remember if it was his dad or his grandfather, had invented a nationally known household cleaner. And I thought, well, that's pretty famous, because we all knew the cleaner, so we knew him. Back east, when I was in Connecticut, there was a woman in our congregation uh, who could uh, trace her uh, ancestry all the way back to the Mayflower. And so she used to dress up in period costume and go around and do uh, presentations about what life was like for her ancestor. And she actually did it one time for our, our seniors in our, our, our church. She came and did a presentation for a luncheon for them. And my understanding of my own family is I'm related to a guy who invented a steamboat <laughs> at some point in the past. So um, I don't think he got the credit he deserved. And I think there's a book called, uh, I think his name was John Fitch, and it's Poor John Fitch um, in his lifetime. He, he ended up dying, I think, poor, um, which I hope that's not the end of my life. Um, but with that in mind, are you related to someone historic or, or famous or even infamous? If you are, go ahead and turn to someone next to you right now and share who that person is. Maybe someone who signed the Declaration of Independence. Maybe you're related to a president or a king or a queen. Maybe your relative invented Windex. Who knows what? Maybe you have no famous people. Maybe you will be the famous person in your lineage. All right, a couple more seconds there. We'll come back here and just all right, we look forward afterwards hearing what some of the famous people that you are uh, a descendant of. For a Jewish person living in the first century, and actually a Jewish person living in any century, uh, if you were to ask that question, uh, the ancestor of significance for them, they may have different people that we would say were culturally significant uh, in our own day and age or previous centuries, but all of them could trace their lineage back to a significant figure named Abraham. All right, so they could all trace it back to Abraham. And we get a glimpse of what this looks like in the first century. If you look in John chapter 8, you'll actually see there's a, an argument that ensues between Jesus and a, and a group that is just having a hard time with the things that Jesus is saying. And they make the bold claim that they are Abraham's children. They identify themselves that way. And Jesus gets in a conversation with them about that and what it means uh, to be children of Abraham. The author of our uh, book that we're looking at as a reading group during the week, uh, we're looking at a commentary um, on Galatians by N.T. Wright. And Wright notes in there that there's actually what we'd call an extra-biblical book that was popular in the first century amongst Pharisees. There's a, a, a list of songs called the Psalms of Solomon, uh, not the same as the Song of Solomon that we see in Scripture, but a different set of, of poems and songs that are written in there. There's a central place where uh, the Jewish audience that would be reading that would identify themselves as children of Abraham. That was a significant marker for them. And it's significant for this reason. Being a descendant of Abraham locates the bearer as an heir to God's promises and a member of God's people. 
So if you can mark yourself, if you can locate yourself with Abraham, if you can say, this is, this is my lineage, uh, the promises that were given to him, the blessings that were bestowed on him, would then be presumably blessings that you would then enjoy. And we can get the significance of what those blessings might be by just going back to Genesis chapter 12. So let's go back for a season and a time here. We're in the Wayback Machine. We don't need Peabody and his boy Sherman. We'll just go ahead and go back to Genesis chapter 12. Here there's a man named Abram who would later be named Abraham um, because of the blessing that's bestowed on him. And he'll be called by God. Do you remember how that story goes? Uh, here's this guy. And it, it's, a, it's a calling in Genesis 12 that comes on the heels of, if you look at Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Now, if you remember the Tower of Babel, here's this moment where humanity is once more bent on achieving its own purposes and aims. It's looking to glorify itself. And so humanity is continuing the same project that humans have done since the garden, which is to seek our own glory, to seek our own means and devices, to be the rulers of our own world. Um, And so you see that with Babel, and that's in Genesis 11. And, And now as we enter into chapter 12, we see here that God has something else in mind. And he says to this man named Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's significant. That's a significant statement, because here Abram is called out from both his land and his family, and he's also called from a life that will be later described in Joshua. If you remember the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua 24, when they are uh, once more reaffirming the covenant, Joshua describes uh, Abram and his brother and his father as these ones who served other gods. And so here Abram is going to be placed on a new trajectory. He's going to be placed in a new direction, that God has a different design on his life, and that all the families of the world shall be blessed uh, because of him course Abram like any one of us can't see that can't see that in his in his own uh, moment he can't see the exactly what that's going to look like it's it's pretty unbelievable and, and even more unbelievable if you think about it in this in this promise to have ancestors that are blessed when you ain't got no kids and you're an old man like it'd be even harder to see that and we know that as part of the story here that here's this guy uh, who is given this great promise this great challenge of blessing from God and what is his response? We see in Genesis chapter 12, 4, it says that he went. God says go, and Abram went. And we'll see later on in Genesis 15 that when he learns that his descendants will be as numerous as things in the sky, stars, things that can't be counted. When he learns that from God, it says Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Jewish persons in the first century like I said, would identify themselves with that family tree. They would say, I, we're those descendants. We're the ones who uh, fill out that promise. And so we're the ones uh, that this is speaking of, that future that Abram couldn't see in his lifetime. But we are, we are the proof of God's promises there. And that would include Jewish Christians. As they were converted and, and came into the Christian church in the first century, as they formed together a body of God's people in that new covenant community, they too would see themselves as being part of this family tree. And we could probably guess here that, noting that this is showing up here in our text in Galatians, that this was probably a significant figure, that the faction, the faction, sounds kind of like a show, like an enemy in a show, right? The faction. 
The faction that's causing disruption in this Galatian church, that same group is probably appealing to that same Abraham, that same promise. They're probably calling themselves, we're the children of Abraham. We're doing the right stuff here, and that's why Paul speaks of it here. Of course, the question for all of us is, who exactly is in that line of Abraham? Who makes up that line? Who are those, those people? Well, Paul says here in Galatians that it has less to do with biological bloodlines, but instead, in verse 6, it's those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. What? What? If you're a first century Jewish person and that gets dropped on you, what? What are you talking about? How is that possible? Everything about my identity has been based around this idea of being a child of Abraham, and now you drop that? Well, Paul will go on to say again that those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed in verse 9. It's not only an appeal here to a person who predates Sinai. So you think about the giving of the law. Paul's now bringing an argument out here for us for someone who not only predates that giving of the law, this, this person, Abraham, but he's also speaking to a place where there's a promise that's going to extend beyond the Sinai community, beyond that uh, traditional law-abiding Jewish community. And so we he- see here that Paul's argument is going to be based out of an area that's probably shaken people up pretty good at this point. But here's the thing. First century Christians aren't surprised by Paul's words here. At least they shouldn't be. And Bible reading Christians today shouldn't be surprised either. Think about the idea of the bloodline argument. John the Baptist, actually, at the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, he warned a group of Pharisees and Sadducees, so people who take pride in this ancestry of being children of Abraham. He actually warns them at the outset of Jesus' ministry to bear fruit worthy of repentance and not to, here's what he says, presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. That's a John the Baptist mic drop is what that is. For those who might say that the promises are only for this localized group, this very specific group, we'll see in Matthew chapter 8, we learn that many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Important verse as you think about your ancestry to Abraham, but important for us too today as we think about World Communion Sunday. And then if you start thinking about associations, like how is someone uh, associated with Abraham, it couldn't get worse than a sellout like a tax collector, right? In the first century, you'd look at one of your kinsmen who you'd say, okay, yeah, they're a descendant of Abraham, but man, they sold out on us a long time, so they don't really, they're not really associated with us. We wouldn't call them a true child of Abraham. But what does Jesus say to a tax collector named Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19? Today, salvation has come to his house because he too is a son of Abraham. A son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. So less to do with bloodlines and not necessarily everything to do with national identity. And certainly associations don't necessarily come to play here. What comes to play here for Paul is that Christ's faithfulness, that faithfulness even to death on the cross, makes possible what is noted in verse 14, that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You hear a great line like that, and the Galatian Christians might do what many of us do when we hear that. We miss it. We miss it. It's like, there it goes. We hear the great promise once more to us, and it goes right by us. And we totally miss out on it. Isn't it something that's easy to do in our day, to miss out on things? I was reading this past week a list of places where people 
got things wrong as a kid. You ever get things wrong as a kid? I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and they used to talk about diverse kinds of tongues. So they're talking about people speaking in tongues, and they would use an old uh, translation from the King James, and they'd talk about how people were speaking in diverse kinds of tongues. I was a kid, I thought they said divers kind of tongues, because it sounded odd to me, so I thought there was like underwater talk. And I thought that's how divers talk when they're underwater, and so that's, you know, I made the association, so I thought they were saying that. Right as a kid, you get things wrong. I read about a person this past week, they said when they were five, they used to think that dogs were boys and cats were girls. And, um, and they said, don't judge me on that, I was five. Another person here online, they wrote that when the ice cream truck played music, this is them as a kid, it meant it was out of ice cream. <laughs> it meant it was out of ice cream. That's what their mom told them. That's pretty smart, actually. Sometimes we can be convinced that we can be convinced and led astray. We can be led down the, the wrong path. It's not just our own getting things wrong or missing it. Sometimes people help us miss it, and they say things that cause that. Here we have the Galatian church, this same group. They're being led astray. Paul says right from the outset, you foolish Galatians, right? They're foolish, they lack wisdom in there. But watch this, who has bewitched you? Who has said these kind of words to you in verse 1 that would lead you down a different path? Who, is, who has kind of given you words that tickle your ear and, and cause you to think, oh, this might be another way, a better way? Who, who's done that? That you've somehow now believed that the music playing means there's no more ice cream. Or in this case that you have to go down this, this exclusively Jewish path. And it all comes here again when Paul says this. It sounds like strong language to us. It's, it's strong words. It sounds, it sounds tougher than the types of things we might say to one another. But the words that Paul uses here, remember, they're coming on the heels of someone who literally just made the point in chapter 2, verse 15, that it's not Jewish practices. It's not the Jewish practices, but rather it's Christ's faithfulness. And so here we see Paul once more getting fired up, getting shaken up, because the message that was preached to them originally, which we can assume is that Christ's faithfulness message, that message that Paul lets us see in a little bit here when he says that before your eyes Jesus was publicly exhibited as crucified, that that message that was made public, they probably weren't at the crucifixion. But Paul, probably in telling that message originally, they heard of God's grace and love and how Jesus was faithful even to death so that they might be ones who could experience this new kind of life. And here they are doing this Jesus plus thing. They're trying to say, well, let's add to it. And they're being tricked into that, that kind of thinking. But the message here is more than just missing that original gospel message. Look what he says here uh, when he gets down into uh, this portion about the Spirit. We're going to be introduced to the Holy Spirit in Galatians here at this point. He says that the Galatian Christians received the Spirit and that that reception, in verse 2, predated the error that they're currently living in. So they already had the Spirit was at, with them and at work in the life of this community before they went down this path. We also realize that the reception and the idea of the Spirit fully supplying them and the miracles that are going on there in the community, that this corresponds because, again, it predated this error. It corresponds not to the path they're currently on, but rather that they believed what they heard, that this answering faith, they, had, they responded to what God was at, doing was at work with. And all of that's being set aside. All of that is being pushed out of the way as they now embrace this other way, this other gospel. God's Spirit present in that community, present with these people, authenticating the message 
they receive, but also marking them as God's promised recipients of salvation. There's no additional cuts or markings that are needed when the Holy Spirit marks you. So this morning, as we kind of conclude this time here and reflecting and pondering on God's word here in this, this text, I think I know why Paul got so feisty with those Galatian Christians. And I imagine that Paul would get equally feisty in our own day, that he might get fired up with things that he sees in our life as Christians here in our own nation here. I'm an early holiday shopper. Anybody early holiday shoppers here? A couple of people here. Good for you. Good for you. So when I go to Costco this past week and I see the holiday decorations out, I get kind of excited. I see the lights out there. I get pretty, pretty excited. Because what I do when I, when I early holiday shop is I'm imagining, like I'm imagining what's going to happen three months from now. Right? When as I buy something, I'm imagining someone's going to open that gift or that, that particular decoration is going to go up three months from now, right? Sorry, Christmas is like less than three months from now. Uh-oh. And so I see that now what's going to come to fruition later on. At the same time, I imagine that my cellular service company is also gearing up for the holidays. I got an email this past week uh, from my cell provider. They were offering me a, a new plan they said was right for me. I could get unlimited data for $10 a month more per line. The problem is I have limited data now that I don't use. So I'm not sure how unlimited data actually is something I need, which tells me that they probably don't actually know me. So those two stories, kind of silly modern-day stories. But think about what the promise to Abraham is. Not a promise for something that's going to happen three months later. That God could look out down the corridors of time and see you and me here seated, not Jewish, but Gentile Christians gathered more than three millennia later. Here we sit, called by God's grace, and knowing that that same God, our Creator, knows us, actually knows us. While we live in a world that oftentimes can go through with the presumption of knowing each other, our Creator actually knows us, knows everything about us, and offers the gift of salvation to us, calls us by name to come and to follow, and sees us even from a long way off. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song called Father Abraham. It's probably the most annoying Christian children's song ever. It always ends up you spinning in circles and passing out in your chair. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. We get short-sighted. We lose sight of the long-term promises, and we lose sight of how the Spirit is at work in our community. So in closing this morning and continuing this closing, I, I just want to offer a couple stories here locally for us. I know uh, sometimes uh, you, you hear the promises of God, you hear these things, you go, Jimmy, thank you. Thank you for, how is the Spirit actually at work here? Let me tell you a couple, a couple stories from our own congregation this past week, fresh off the press. I listened to two people this week who sat down and shared with me how God right now is speaking into their life and calling them to step out in places that they're not, they're not quite sure if this is gonna, how this is going to work or, or will this will work, but both stories were totally different ideas, but they're both geared to reaching out to the community uh, in response to COVID. 
So both ideas were, were two different people sharing that God is, is speaking to their heart in places where they're wanting to lead the congregation. Right? They want to lead an effort to respond to and care for people in our surrounding community uh, here on our campus. They want to use the campus to lead this charge. And both of those people are under the age of 40. Now, you might be going, I'm under the age of 40, what's that have to do with anything? One-third of our membership is in that age bracket. One-third. Two-thirds are over that, that age bracket. One-third of our membership. This represents our youngest, youngest segment of members here in the church. And to know that God is at work in the hearts of these younger members in our congregation, drawing them to places where they're sensing that God is saying to them, you know what, I want you to step out and make the blessing more available, expand it out even further so that people might be touched by God's grace, that they might experience that grace. And I offer those two particular ones, I won't say what the ideas are, I'll let them come out as they emerge, they're great ideas. Um, And I think a lot of people are going to be excited about being part of, of those efforts. But the reason I share that is because those are just two, and I imagine there's more across this room. That the Holy Spirit is speaking to us as a community and calling us to step out into different places. And part of that blessing of Abraham is the Holy Spirit at work in the life of this church. So friends, continue to be sensitive to that calling. Continue to be mindful of God's great calling to you, one that has gone throughout millennia. Not just century, not even just decades, but millennia. And be one who continually looks for places where you might be wise, not foolish, not to be tricked or bewitched, but rather ones who keep your eyes fixed on Christ, who is calling us each and every day to live faithful lives, faithful expressions for God's glory. Let us pray together.